0: Hey, pals. So one of our goals here at The Big Listen is to bring you moments of joy and delight in your day. We know you work hard and you need a couple of smiles here and there. And I'm guessing that sometimes listening to our show brings a smile to your face. So do me a favor. Think back to a time this past year when our show brought you joy. Now, want to share that feeling? I thought so. Donate to your local station to pay that delight forward. It'll probably make you feel pretty good. And it'll make others feel amazing, too, like the people who make this stuff that you listen to. So visit donate.npr.org slash listen to give. Then tell us why you're spreading the good vibes this season with hashtag Why Public Radio. That's W-H-Y Public Radio. And thanks. Recently, my producer and I went to Union Station in Washington, D.C., It's one of the busiest railway stations in the country. We were there to meet with a guy who designs sounds for a living.
1: I look so important here with both of you with microphones looking at me. Everyone keeps walking behind you and looking at me.
0: Our friend might have looked like the actor Seth Rogen if you squinted, but he's just a regular
1: dude. My name's Dallas Taylor, I'm a sound designer, and I host a podcast called 20,000 Hertz.
0: Taylor's show is all about the hidden stories behind the world's most recognizable sounds.
1: Things like, who's the voice on your phone, and how did that come together? Um, What's the story behind the NBC chimes? Uh, You know, what were the Watergate tapes? It seems like that's something that's coming up, and a lot of people will reference to Watergate but not know exactly what that is.
0: And we came to Union Station to talk with Taylor about one of Washington's most iconic soundscapes, the D.C. Metro. But before you get to the city's underground rail system, you have to pass through about four or five discrete sonic ecosystems at the station.
1: Well this is a really good place for a mixture of almost everything DC. You have constant rumbles of buses and people moving around, Uh, you have tons of people just kind of walking in and out, and what's cool about that part is that it's unlike most other cities in the country where you might hear um, a specific accent on every single, you know, as every person walked by, Uh, but here you just have this constant rich uh, sense of uh, diversity and. And so uh, places like this is kind of this, like, perfect center point of melting pot of, uh, of the city. I'm
0: Lauren Ober, and this little gem is The Big Listen from WAMU and NPR. Each week on The Big Listen, we invite you to open your ears to some of the great conversations happening in audio. Maybe, just maybe, we help you find some new things to listen to. I wanted to talk to Dallas Taylor about our capital city's notable sounds. And when I asked him to give me some suggestions, he only came up with one idea, the Washington Metro. Now in fairness, that's the first thing I came up with too. So, you know, we're on the same page.
2: Rapid transit has become a part of the metropolitan Washington scene. The result of efforts that date back almost to the turn of the century. Today, it's a reality, no longer just a hope or a dream.
0: No, it's an actual thing. The transit system opened its doors just over 40 years ago, and since then it's been a source of pride and frustration for the metropolitan region's six million people. But Taylor,
1: for one, is into it. Metro in particular is just pretty iconic. I think that anybody in DC could recognize every aspect of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, that's always my favorite here. Yeah, you love Metro. I love Metro, yeah. The
0: Metro system engages nearly all the senses. The vaulted ceilings are amazing to look at. The carpet, which mercifully they're phasing out, perhaps does not smell the best. And then there's how Metro sounds. Our friend Dallas Taylor has a lot of feels about this.
1: I would characterize Metro sound more like just like...
3: (laughs)
0: We'll catch up with him a little later about the importance of opening our ears. And we make a shocking discovery on Metro, which you will not want to miss. But now we're going to switch gears a bit and talk about tech, particularly our obsession with it. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I, I just got a text message. One second. OK, I'm back. Manush Zamarodi is the host of Note to Self from WNYC Studios. And she spends a lot of time thinking about the human impact of tech. So a couple of years ago, she devised a challenge for listeners of her show. She wanted to help them moderate their tech usage. She called the
4: project Bored and Brilliant. So for your first challenge, do not look at your phone as you move about your day. Whether it's on the train, the bus, the sidewalk, in the passenger seat, during carpool. Keep your phone in your pocket or better yet, in your bag. Try to only look at it when you've reached your destination. The goal is to make some space for deeper thinking.
0: The Born Brilliant Project was so successful that Zamarodi turned it into a book. It's called Bored and Brilliant: How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. Manush Zamarodi, welcome to the big listen. Hello, Lauren. It's good to be back. Ah, I know. I know. Thank you for rejoining us now that your book has come out. And this is a book that is based on a project
4: that you did with listeners to the show, right? Okay. So here's what happened. I had been feeling, and this is not good for a podcast host, as I'm sure you can attest, Lauren, but I was feeling like I couldn't come up with any good ideas for the show. <laughs> not good. Nope. Not good. No, nope. And I kind of realized that at moments when I used to space out, like like waiting in line at the coffee shop or waiting for the subway. Now, what did I do? What do we all do? We all look at our phones. It was like every little crack in my day where I would have been little bit bored frankly Mm -hmm. I never needed to be bored anymore and so I sort of went on this journey to understand like what actually happens in our brains when we get bored or more importantly what could happen to us if we never get bored like if we get rid of this state of humanity so what we ended up doing was a week of (laughs) (laughs) self-experimentation I know it sounds a little creepy but (laughs) it was really great so every day um, you would wake up and you would get an assignment See the world through your eyes, not your screen. You can use your phone as usual today, except for one thing. Don't take any photos. None. Think it sounds easy? I think I would feel rather
5: lonely either not taking or receiving a photo for a day. My memory is shot, so I use my phone as kind of a memory aid, meaning I take pictures of things that I need to do later in the day, my parking spot, where I've left
3: important things. But if I'd stopped using it, I would have far fewer pictures of my dogs.
4: You know, I kind of thought like a hundred... 200 people would sign up to do this with me. But in the end, over 20,000 people signed up for that week. So I think I think we kind of found a problem.
0: Right. I think it's interesting that you're talking about boredom and and framing it as a positive, because I feel like boredom has a negative connotation.
4: Totally. And people were super mad at me, Lauren, about that. They're like, why do you have to use boredom? That word. Nobody wants to be bored. Only boring people get bored. (laughs) You know, when your mom used to say that to you. And actually, like, so I, you know, I was like, let's do some research into this. And what happens when you get bored is boredom is actually the gateway to mind wandering and daydreaming. It's where you are actually moving towards solving problems, making things better for yourself or, or telling yourself a story or, or whatever it might be, being more creative, being more productive. We're in this age where we think that if we're not doing something all the time, that we're not living up to our human potential. Right. For example... I take the subway home or used to do this. I took the subway home and I would make sure that I was going through my emails, updating my calendar, reading all the articles that I didn't get to read when I you know, during the day. Mm. And that to me was like, I'm a productive person. I Every moment I have, I am updating Twitter, making sure I maintain my personal brand as well as maintaining my calendar. And, you know, like all these things that we're supposed to be doing. Right. But I think if we reframe it to say, actually, no, when you sit down and let your mind go, that is actually an incredibly productive thing to do. We treat boredom as as ebola it needs to be eradicated
3: <laughs> and uh, with that goes away the capacity for stillness
5: so i, I...
4: Maria Popova oh, is the founder of the literary website brainpickings.org and you're hearing her at a little event we had here in New York City for bored and brilliant so maria studies artists creativity she reads their diaries their letters for clues And then she applies what she's learned to herself. To me, it's been useful to really dial into sort of my own sense of what is it that charges me and what is it that drains me. And spending time on the Internet, by and large, drains me. Mm. I I do think that there is enormous value to immersive, prolonged contemplation. Prolonged contemplation, boredom, idleness, whatever they've called it, Maria says thinkers going back to Aristotle— have identified the need for this moment of incubation, for good ideas to sprout. Here's Maria quoting the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. Idleness, it may be said that everyone who lacks a sense of it thereby shows that he has not raised himself to the human level. But I really understood that better after some teenagers who did this project. I said, well, how did it go? And they're like, this boredom thing is, I have never felt anything like it. And you're like, wait, what? Because oh if God. you think about it, if you're 17 years old and you've not, you know, you you don't know life really without a smartphone, you don't know what it feels like to be bored, to go through that uncomfortable feeling, to come out on the other side where you come up with amazing ideas or you figure out, you know, what do you want to major in? How, yeah. how do you want to structure your time at college? And I think so we're at this age where we have to call these things. We have to name them. We have to explain why they work and why we need to make time for them in our days. Isn't that funny,
0: though, that you have to say this is positive, um, you know, like and then and then like this will have a payoff at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. And the payoff could be that you come up with better ideas or whatever, as opposed to just like, hey, it's OK to just let your mind spin and even not come up with any like, w- you know, world changing <laughs> ideas. Right. Right. I, I feel like i in your book, you lay out all the the many things that our devices have impacted. Deep reading, conversation, memory, creative thinking, basically, like, all the important things. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so when you learned all the science behind these issues, were, did you feel worried for your own sort of future cognition? Or, because you're a parent, mm. your children's?
4: Yeah. I definitely do not feel guilty that my son has been asking for, um, uh, you know, a, a, a phone and uh-huh. he's 10. And um, I'm sorry, I'm just delaying that as long as I possibly can. And I'll tell you the reason why. And it's not because it's not because, ooh, screen's bad. It's that I think a lot of this technology requires a level of self-regulation.
0: Right. And maturity.
4: And maturity that I don't have. Uh, So how could I possibly ask my 10-year-old son to have it? Right, You know, there's somebody I quote in the book, Jane McGonigal. She is a game designer and she works at the Institute for the Future. How cool is that? (laughs) Um, But she goes on to say, like, she really doesn't like it when parents are like, oh, my God, put that game away. Stop playing video games. Her whole thing is then you turn it into something shameful, something bad that your child is actually, like, really deeply into. It's telling them that what they care about doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So her whole thing is, well, how do you turn it into a conversation about what they're learning? Um, So, you know, I asked my kid, like, what did you learn in that game he's like oh man you know we like we killed the robots and I was like yeah like what did you have to do to kill the robots he's like oh you have to focus really hard and see which angle you can get the thing to hit it and like okay so were we talking about physics a little bit but like we we had a conversation about something that he loved and I think I that's it lo- that, that, that like,
0: uh, yeah no that was a physics conversation right, check, right. check, check, we got that <laughs>
4: Parenting is tough these days, Lauren. Yeah. You got to like, you know, it's Listen, hard. Listen,
0: I, I give you all respect because I am not a parent. And so in your in your book, you, you lay out seven challenges. It's like mm-hmm. a little seven-step program to maybe get you to think. <laughs> I'm a noosh and I love my phone. Right, exactly, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Just like pay attention to your habits or just, you know, don't have your device in your pocket or just have a day where you don't take any pictures. Yeah, um, or the most
4: difficult day. Yeah, which people have reported. Challenge number four: delete that app. D- oh, the 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 climax, the 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 hump that must be overcome. Okay, delete that app is basically look at your phone. Yeah. pinpoint what is the one app that is driving you bananas? Because we all have one, the one yeah. that you just can't. When you know you shouldn't, you can feel kind of gross when you're on it. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's yeah. a game. Uh, maybe it's a, you know, a, a news app that you keep refreshing over right, and over right. and over again because you're obsessed. Whatever it is, take it off your phone just for the day. Now, based on what we saw f- when we first did this project, um, it was really interesting, Lauren, how people reacted. Like one guy, Liam, took the – I mean, what an extremist. He took everything off his phone Instagram right. Facebook right. Twitter all the social media and we just heard from him um, I think last week he we were like how's it going he's like two years later and I have not put them back on my phone because yeah. I've decided that I like deciding when I'm going to check these social media sites not having the notifications or the numbers popping up or having them just be there when I have a spare minute so I automatically default to looking at them. Well, now, what did you delete, Manu? Two dots. hmm <laughs> My vice, as regular listeners know, is a game called Two Dots. If you don't know it, Two Dots is kind of like Candy Crush, but prettier. If there was like a video game version of artisanal pickles made in Brooklyn, it would be Two Dots. And here's the thing. I have never been into games. Never. I downloaded it because I wanted to understand how these games hook people. Just like a tech reporter doing her research. Yeah, well, that's like a crime reporter who tries heroin just so she can understand the crime beat. Okay, so it is 8.36 p.m. Just put the kids to bed. Here's me about to get my fix the other night. I don't know, I could read one of the, like, 1,500 books that I have next to my bed. What am I going to do? I'm going to play Two Dots. Okay. I'm so excited. It's so pathetic. I've been looking forward to this moment all day. Two Dots is the monkey on my back, my scotch and soda. I fell off the wagon, Laura. How long did you go without it being on I went for a year and a half without having it on my phone. And then... I had to go on a really long flight to Australia. Uh-huh. And um I just couldn't I was like, well what gets me what is the best escapism I could possibly have? It's two dots. Yeah. Um so I treated myself to fucking oh, two dots my, God, back that on is, my phone. Okay, first of all, so that's like sad, the
0: saddest treat ever. Know, You're like, so here sad. let me put this free app back on my phone <laughs> so I can play a little game. <laughs> but
4: like I saw that I
0: genuinely had yeah. a problem.
4: Like I I mm I started seeing dots in my head. you remember, like, back in the day with Tetris? Yeah, you'd see, like, yeah, things falling. Totally. Like, I was seeing it in my mind. Your I, kids' faces right? were just dots. They totally make funny, fun <laughs> of me. They're like, uh-oh, mommy's playing her relaxing game. <laughs> they know. This is mommy's time. And that's what I keep wondering, too, Lauren. It's like, there is this, like, young woman, young lady. She's 13 on my block. And yeah. she was telling me, she's like, oh, I put my phone away on Saturdays. It's, that's for losers who are on their phone all day. And I was like, really? Who is who this told- child? And yeah, let me exactly. meet her. and exactly. Well, it makes me wonder, like, yeah. I wonder, like, if in five years from now, there's just going to be this generation of young adults. Yeah, backlash. Oh. Exactly.
0: So so you and I, we we are in the business of providing people entertainment, mm. information that they are often using at a time when they could be just thinking about other things they could be spacing out instead they have their earbuds in they're on the subway they're in their car listening to our voices uh what responsibility do we bear Hmm. in this situation of overstimulation
4: I mean, I, I you're asking basically a podcast host does she tell her listeners to turn it off? And the answer <laughs> is absolutely yes. Because I think right now there's so much out there, so much oh my god, there's just so much I want to watch just on Netflix mm-hmm. and there's so much I want to listen to and oh my what's what's going on in the White House now? Yes. It is uh, and you could stuff your brain full. But at what point are you why are you watching these things like because you want to learn something or think about them or or savor them. And, and that's where you do need to turn it off. And frankly, you know, if don't make me we use the word authentic, but I think that <laughs> is what people the audience is looking for. And so if I'm going to be truly authentic, I'm going to tell them, yeah, there's a time for podcasts, but there's also a time for folding the laundry in silence.
0: Manoush Zamarodi is the host of Note to Self from WNYC Studios, and she's the author of Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. To find out more about her work, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our friend Dallas Taylor from the top of the show? He's a sound designer and the creator of the podcast 20,000 Hertz.
1: You're listening to 20,000 Hertz the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story behind the sounds we hear on an airplane and how to take the fear out of flying. My
5: played a
0: I wanted to talk to Taylor about some of the District of Columbia's most notable soundscapes. So he took me to Union Station, home of both Amtrak and the Washington Metro. And Taylor's favorite part of Metro? The voice that does the announcements when you get on and off the trains.
1: Doors opening. That person is a Washingtonian from Virginia named uh, Randy Miller, and I find it so cool that it's, it's somebody who lives here, who's now this voice, that I would say, if I have to boil it down to a single most iconic sound in D.C., it's that voice. Step back, door's closing. I was
0: working at a Lexus dealership. The general manager told me about the contest and said, hey, Randy, Metro's looking for a new voice. You should enter. I ended up recording my entry the day before the entries were due and sending it in FedEx to
3: Metro. When boarding, please move to the center of the car.
0: Miller was clearly pretty great because she beat out 1,000 other entrants to be the voice of Metro. Taylor and I hopped on one of the sleek new 7,000-series trains to hear her dulcet tones.
3: Step back. Doors
1: closed. That's not the right voice. No. On the 7000 series, they got rid of her. That's a, that's a robot that voice. That is a robot voice. That is very disappointing. I'm just
0: finding the... this out right now. It appeared that Randy Miller's voice had been replaced by some sort of automaton. And that was a pretty shocking discovery for Taylor and me.
1: Well, this is a glimpse of our future, isn't it? Wow. I, I, I had no idea.
0: When we looked around the gleaming new train, no one seemed to notice that Randy Miller's voice was replaced by some robotic simulacrum. And if anyone did notice, they weren't all that
1: fussed. So I think people don't care because they don't know the stories behind these, Mm. these sounds and the thought process. Like that thing on the Metro was thought out well. It's a beautiful chime. The voice is beautiful. The tone is perfect. But whenever we sterilize our sounds because somebody just doesn't care, we're losing something.
0: We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we're going to chat with political firebrand Angela Rye about finding her path to social justice.
5: Growing up with my dad as an activist, I didn't know that that was like a different thing. I just thought that was normal. So I grew up in a house where it's like going to protest.
0: But first, we'll hear about the art of giving advice
3: from Slate's own agony aunt, Dear Prudence. You know, I graduated without honors with an English degree from a second-tier evangelical Christian school in suburban Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> Amazing whatever, credentials. Yeah, whatever expertise I'm bringing to the table, it's just like, hey, it's me.
0: That's coming up in a sec. Stick around. This is NPR.
2: This is Ben Hefner from Halifax,
4: Nova Scotia, Canada, and lately I've been listening to Sick Boy Podcast.
1: Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Fiona. She has Addison's disease. Let's talk about
4: it. Uh, Sick Boy is a really funny and inspiring podcast that talks about illness but they do it in a a light-hearted way.
1: Mm. Adenosine is a purine nucleoside composed of molecule (laughs) of adenine attached to the ribose sugar molecule. Of course! Of course, that's what (laughs) it is. No wonder it burns. To me, Sick Boy
4: is destigmatizing the way that we talk about illness, and they're also taking the awkwardness sort of the conversations that come around being sick. Thanks so much, and I love your show.
0: Hey, pals, welcome back to the Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to thank Ben from Halifax, Nova Scotia for recommending that podcast. Honestly, anything we can do to destigmatize illness or injury, I am all for. Well, if you have a great recommendation, give us a bell on the pod line. The number is 202 885 Pod1. If you are old enough to read a newspaper on actual newsprint, you might remember the Dueling Advice columns Anne Landers and Dear Abby. Between them, the real-life twin sisters answered tens of thousands of letters on every conceivable
5: topic. Dear Abby, dear Abby, my fountain pen leaks. My wife hollers at me and my kids are all freaks.
0: In our digital age, it makes sense that the agony ant genre has migrated from print to podcast. Slate's Dear Prudence is carrying on the tradition of providing guidance to the confused, the struggling, and the lovelorn among us.
2: Dear Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence.
0: Dear
4: Prudence.
3: Dear Prudence. You just wrote an incredibly long letter to an advice columnist, basically giving a list of reasons why you think this guy doesn't want to marry you. And I agree with you. He doesn't want to marry you. He does want to keep putting it off indefinitely. He will continue to prioritize everyone else in his life before you. This is not a series of accidents. These are a series of choices. He doesn't want to marry you. Um, The long history between the two of you uh, is not an incentive to stay. It is a millstone that will keep you from moving in a direction that actually makes you happy.
0: That's some tough love right there from Mallory Ortberg, the New York Times best-selling author behind the Dear Prudence podcast. Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Mallory Ortberg, host of Dear Prudence. Actually, you are Dear Prudence. You're Prudence. I am currently Prudence. Welcome to the Big Listen. Thank you. I feel welcomed. So then, I'm wondering what qualifies you, or really
3: anybody, to dispense advice. Somebody asks me to and pays me money to. Sure. That's
0: that's that's your only qualification.
3: No, there, there's a reason that advice columns are popular yeah. um, and also totally arbitrary. It is just one person's good intentions mm-hmm. and personal experiences and whatever unique biases they bring to the table. There's also, you know, therapists and lawyers and doctors <laughs> and, and other types of people to give more specific and, you know, experienced advice. But an advice columnist is just right. someone with an ax to grind.
0: Though on your show, you you, when a, an issue rises to the level of you might need professional help, you always let people know, hey, maybe maybe go talk to a lawyer about this one.
3: Oh, and I'm sure there are times when I forget to mention that as well, where I'm like, oh, right, I'm not a doctor. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, like, I think there's certainly an understanding of my name does not have doctor before it or Esquire after it. People know what they're getting, which is just a Stranger's Opinion. Yeah. You know, I graduated without honors with an English degree from a second-tier evangelical Christian school in suburban Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> Amazing whatever, credentials. Yeah, whatever expertise I'm bringing to the table, it's just like, hey, it's me. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you know, uh, advice
0: columns uh, go back forever in in printed publications, and now, obviously, we have different mediums to to give advice, but I'm, I'm wondering why you think or why the tendency to reach out to a stranger for advice?
3: Well, I think it's really helpful to talk to somebody who is in no way connected to one's situation. And it's hard to just call our strangers on the street and say, like, can I talk to you about my mom? <laughs> um, so the, the idea that, like, here's the person we have reserved for at least giving us all the illusion of impartiality. Right. Like this idea that they don't know any of the people involved. They don't have like a dog in this race. They will be able to give me the answer that like if my life were being recorded by a documentary camera, the magical impartial audience would somehow know or they'll be able to see something that I can't see. Um, And there's elements of truth to it. And there's also ways in which I think that's, you know, kind of impossible. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of especially in America, that sort of faith in the enthusiastic amateur, just like someone who spends a lot of time thinking about these things. Golly, I was born in a log cabin and I, I didn't get fancy schooling, but I've got good common sense and um, a practical head on my shoulders and I'll do my best by you. Right, right. So are there, are there uh, some thornier questions that you
0: get that feel like, oof?
3: Oh, God, all the time. I, I think I'm especially mindful because I will often hear from people who are just very clearly in a marriage or a long-term relationship where... You know, trust, love, affection, withered on the vine about twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and it's always something that's like, is this fixable? And it's like, oh gosh, probably not. <laughs> this sounds like it went bad a long, long time ago. Right. But it's also very difficult. Like, you know, I think divorce is sometimes the only option for people, or the best option, or at least an option they can and should consider. Um, but it's a lot easier to tell somebody else to end their marriage, um, oh especially if they've got kids.
2: Hi, Prudy. I started therapy several months ago after a bout of depression and anxiety. After some digging, I realized a lot of my issues were tied to my husband and his possibly undiagnosed personality disorder. Though my therapist and I cannot diagnose him, we are both fairly certain that he is a textbook narcissist. The problem is, we have two small children. There are plenty of good times, but good times don't put people in therapy. The older they get, the more he yells, screams, throws tantrums when they make simple mistakes that all children make. My fear is that if I leave him, he will be alone with them for visitation, and that is a bad idea. But if I stay, they are exposed to him more often. I feel stuck and have no idea what to do.
3: Man, so this is obviously a heavy one. So I just want to start by pointing out something I loved about this letter, which is that there's so clearly a line in here that the letter writer got from her therapist, which is, there are good times, but I know good times don't put people in therapy. And I just, I don't know, I found that really charming. I find it interesting that that people with
0: concerns of that magnitude, like should I leave my partner or not, uh, should I leave my spouse or not, would uh, would think that the answer would be found
3: um you know, on an advice podcast. Oh, I don't I, I don't think that most of the people who write in have any illusions about what I can and can't do for them. Yeah. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't believe when people are doing that that they're saying, I haven't talked to anybody else in my life about this. I'm totally putting myself in your hands. If you say leave, I'm going to do it. Like, right, I, I right. very much think often just what they're asking is, I've been in the middle of this for so long. What do you think? What's your take on this? How could I find another way to think about this? And even if I'm saying, like, yeah, divorce might be a good option. If nothing else, if they're hearing me say, like, here's a pattern I'm seeing in your letter that seems worth addressing, like, maybe they won't leave. And maybe they'll actually be able to work it out. And that's fantastic. Um, But they can maybe see something they haven't seen before. But, yeah, I think very much if nothing else, I can kind of say, like, yes, this is a big deal. You should be paying attention. You should be talking to a therapist. You should be telling the other people in your life um, this is not, like – low-key or casual or something that happens to everybody. Do you ever follow up
0: with folks after uh, after they've reached out and you've given them advice? Or... I've started getting a lot yeah.
3: more follow-ups this summer, especially. I think I had kind of put out a call because I do take most of the questions through either the live chat or the inbox. So mm-hmm. I don't always have contact information for people who have asked me questions in the past. So I ask them to follow back up. And then when that happens, I, I, I will try to read it on the air or talk about it in the column. And... Yeah. But the big ones like... Um, The bidet couple update, or the little kid whose parents were trying to, like, force him into the sea. I was pretty jazzed to get to read about those on the air. (sighs) All right, Max, take us away on the next one. Subject.
0: I love a bidet, except when I don't. Dear Prudence, I recently got my longtime partner a bidet for his house, We Live Apart. I grew up in a country where they are common, and he has always wanted one. He installed it and loves it, and often thanks me for it. However... He now refuses to buy toilet paper for his house, saying that it's saving him a lot of money to not buy it. (laughs) It's so
3: bad. Um, And she was like, hey, you know, I don't always use the bidet and or sometimes the bidet is not sufficient for my needs or your other guests. And his response to that was like, I guess here's a kitchen towel.
0: (laughs) I have created a monster. Please give me one of your devastating scripts so I can impress upon him how terrible this is. People in my home country would be appalled. He is otherwise a delightful person.
3: I have been silently screaming the entire time you read this letter.
4: <laughs> I love this letter so
3: much. First of all, letter writer, you did not create a monster. I Like, don't put this on you. Like, giving someone a bidet uh, does not mean they suddenly turn into someone who's like, oh, it's cool if you wipe yourself with this old dish towel, right? But I really laid into that guy. Yeah. I
0: with absolute good reason
3: I, that was one of those things where i was like thank you for giving me this right. moral high ground no middle ground just on that one. stand on and feel good about myself <laughs> no. um and i was really like my man you had better be just a great partner in every other respects because if you are handing your girlfriend a p- towel and no game plan you are failing to be a good host much less a good boyfriend
0: mallory Ortberg, host of dear prudence thanks for hanging out with us and thanks sharing so some much. advice absolutely thank you Mallory Ortberg is the advice columnist behind Dear Prudence from Slate. We recorded that interview at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism Studios. To find out more about the show, check out biglisten.org. Okie doke, it's time for another quick break. But when we come back, we'll talk with CNN pundit Angela Rye about what she got from working for Representative Maxine Waters back in the day.
5: I learned in her office that politics and activism can work hand-in-hand hand to advance the needs of people who are oftentimes voiceless, downtrodden, and don't have the advocacy that they deserve.
0: That's coming up next, so stay put. This is NPR. Hey, pals. As we shed the old year and slip into a new one, it's time to reflect on what has happened. And I don't mean in the news, because we've got plenty of that, okay? Okay. If you listen to the show, you know that we strive to help you see things in a new light, expose you to new ideas, and introduce you to tons of interesting folks. We know this podcast is just 50 minutes of your week, but I'm guessing that what you hear on this show sticks in your gray matter for a little bit. So if listening to the show has changed the way you think about big-ticket ideas or helped you relate better to your neighbors, help us continue that work. Support your local station today and tell us how the people you heard from on The Big Listen helped you be a better human this year. Visit donate.npr.org listen to give and then share your story with the hashtag WhyPublicRadio. W-H-Y Public Radio. And thanks.
4: Hi, this is Robin. I'm in Santa Rosa, California.
2: This is Bird Night.
4: It's a beautiful little podcast. It's always under two minutes. And every day they focus on a different bird. One day,
2: Marmora was walking along the densely vegetated banks of the River Var in the southeast of France when he heard a song he thought he recognized.
4: But it's all birds, all the time, and I'm telling you, you don't have to be a bird lover to love this podcast.
2: In September of 1851, Henry David Thoreau wrote, The whippoorwills now begin to sing in earnest about half an hour before sunrise, as if making haste to improve the short time that has left them. It remains, as Thoreau described, a bird of the night side of the woods, where you may hear the whippoorwill in your dreams.
0: Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and friend of the show, Robin, who dutifully calls us with recommendations on the regular, should be your inspiration. Be like Robin. Call the pod line. The number is 202-885-POD1. If you caught a glimpse or two of CNN since the 2016 presidential campaign began, it's likely you saw a bit of Angela Rye. The political strategist and former head of the Congressional Black Caucus is one of the network's most fiery commentators. Here she is talking about the Russia investigation with Anderson Cooper on AC 360.
5: If this would have been under the Obama administration, there would be no end to this. Barack Obama had to be the next best thing to Jesus. And here we are, just two months in and some change, and there is issue after issue. Maybe it's not Russian collusion, maybe it's collusion with the intel committee chair, but it's highly problematic.
0: Clearly, Rye does not hold back. In addition to being a pundit, Rye is also the host of her own podcast, On One with Angela Rye. On her show, she doesn't tangle with Trump surrogates. Instead, she talks with important newsmakers in the black community like actor Jesse Williams, rapper Common, and of course... Queen Maxine.
5: Hey everybody! This is our first ever guest on on One with Angela Rye, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who I've historically called the nation's congresswoman, is joining us, and now I call her the Queen of the Resistance because that is exactly what she is and how she represents. Angela Rye, welcome to the Big Listen. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you were you were raised uh, in the movement. Your father, Eddie Rye Jr., was, and I, I think still is very much involved in social justice advocacy. And I wonder when you were a kid, did you think, you know, I want to grow up to be an activist or maybe I want to be a veterinarian or something like that?
5: Uh, No, I wanted to be a lawyer pretty early. Mm -hmm. My parents, neither parent is a lawyer, but Growing up with my dad as an activist, I didn't know that that was like a different thing. I just mm-hmm. thought that was normal. So I <laughs> right, grew up in a house where, yeah, it's like going to protest. Right. <laughs> the thing that I thought is, you know, we had an obligation to speak up for the little guy or the mm-hmm. little girl. Or So I took that very seriously, even to school and getting suspended for, you know, fighting a boy for my friend. <laughs> he like attacked her and I was like, don't do that. And then like the next minute I had to defend myself because he was charging at me. So I punched him, knocked him down on the floor. My dad was excited about <laughs> the fact. <laughs> (laughs) That I knocked the boy (laughs) on the floor, but I was scared I wasn't gonna get into my private high school of choice. I digress. The point is, I've always fought, even literally. For you know someone who I didn't feel like could speak up for themselves, yeah. I thought that was what we were supposed to do. and in a lot of ways, I'm grateful that that was my paradigm that I thought that's what we were supposed to do because it shaped everything else um, that I stand for that I believe in mm-hmm. and how I've lived my life. and um, I, ca- I couldn't thank my parents enough for that.
0: Yeah, I wonder what you wanted to accomplish with the podcast because obviously there's no shortage of them out there.
5: There are a ton of podcasts. So one thing is that people, get the full breadth and depth of who I am on that podcast, Mm -hmm. because I think that it is reflective of where other people sit, or at least it's a perspective where I think other people enjoy like, wow, she really will watch Basketball Wives and talk about it. And she will also, (laughs) you know, talk about Donald Trump or, you know, politics or race in this country or other elements of pop culture.
0: I mean, you're sort of filling a space that you didn't see was being filled.
5: Well, and I think that there are some. So, for example, like I say that the podcast is Sophista Ratchet, which, of course, is yep. not a word yet, but <laughs> it'll be in the dictionary next year. And <laughs> Sophista Ratchet is all things sophisticated and ratchet. Um, there's a Migos song
2: drops, drop top.
5: called Bad and Bougie.
2: Yep.
5: So it's just like... You can be ratchet is like, you know, hood or some people would say ghetto. Ghetto has some negative connotations sure. these days. But it's just like, you know, you can appreciate the finer things of the hood and the finer things in other places. Right. It's being fully comfortable and embracing your true self. I can play dominoes and I can also argue with you on constitutional law. Right. You know, I can bring my own bag. It might not be a 40 in there. It might be Casamigos tequila. I should get endorsement endorsement for that. And I can also, you know, go to the hood diner spot or, you know what? I mean we are complex beings hypocritical even in the ways in which we live and I think you know some black folks would say it's like the ability to code switch and I don't mm-hmm. even try to code switch I'm just like I'm gonna be absolutely who I am in all these spaces but I appreciate all of them you know right. I'll go to a musical I like classical music you know but I also might listen to trap music I had a rock collection, you know, when I was a kid and I would, like, <laughs> no. na- yeah, I would go through this book and like name all the rocks. I used to read the encyclopedia. I had a bucket oh of worms God. that I called my babies. What? Like I was a weird kid. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I was like, I want to be a geologist. And then I found out I wasn't going to just be identifying rocks. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. That is
0: hilarious. I wanted to be a geologist too, because I also had a rock
5: collection. See what I'm saying? <laughs> See what I'm saying? You just never know. I know. You just never know. But the other thing, too, is I had, we grew up on, um, like, Watching in Living Color. My dad yep. used to VHS videotape. Every In Living Color I episode. Love it. So, Homie the Clown. I had a Homie sock. I knew the whole <laughs> Homie the Clown song. I could sing it for you now.
0: One of my <laughs> fondest memories as a kid was calling into a radio station. I grew up in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and they were doing a giveaway for an In Living Color jean jacket. What? And oh, it I had, want like, that now. The logo embroidered in the oh, back, man. and I won it. And we gotta
5: find that at the <laughs> thrift shop. <laughs> I know that's a I good won. buy. But the thing was,
0: like, I didn't have anybody to take me down to the radio station because my oh, parents man. were like, "You have." got to be kidding me like no we're not gonna take you I must have been like 11 at the time they're like no way and so it just sat there it sat at the radio station I was so sad about that but I love wait so you won it and
5: you just couldn't go get it I couldn't get it no
0: my parents wouldn't take me they that were hurts. like
5: they were like, no, we're not we're not We should call it. the radio station know. now and see if it's still there. I want to
0: talk a little bit more about on one and your first episode, I feel like you came out swing because you had representative Maxine Waters yeah. on as your guest. and I want you to tell me about your love for Queen Maxine. Also feel free to reclaim your time if you need to just like she did
5: reclaiming Intel my time reclaiming my time blaming <laughs> your time reclaiming yes time. i love congresswoman waters because that was my first political job and i learned in her office that politics and activism can work hand in hand to advance the needs of people who are oftentimes Voiceless, downtrodden, and don't have the advocacy that they deserve. Mm-hmm. I love her because you know when grown men were scared of the Bloods and Crips, she was out calling truces. Yep. So it's so funny now to to talk about the millennials as a generic class to see them like, oh, we love Auntie Maxine. Yep. I'm like, where have y'all been? Like she's been doing this. <laughs> she was born like this. So that's it's really cool. But I love her, and I'm so happy that she's getting that recognition from you know, young folks, and, and she's, she's enjoying every mm-hmm. minute of it and trying to figure out how to continue to engage them, which I think is is just so dope. It's been so awesome to watch. Well,
0: I've always worked with young people, yeah. and whether it was gang members in South Central mm-hmm. or hip-hop mm-hmm. and, you know, during the time of gangster rap when mm-hmm. they wanted to censor our young people, mm-hmm. you know, I um, I said, no, censorship is not, you know, what we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. These young people are talking about, their lives. They're Mm -hmm. talking about, um, you know, what is wrong in their communities. Mm -hmm. They went into their garages and made this music and they had to market this music all by themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's telling a real story. Who's
5: your favorite rapper? Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> All eyes on me. <laughs> All eyes on me. That's I love right. it. <laughs> That's right.
0: Tupac. Now that you have this podcast, uh or or even before, did you listen to a lot of podcasts or do you listen to them now or or you just don't have time?
5: Honestly, I'm not a big podcast person. I did the podcast because the people pressured um <laughs> people. It, honestly, and uh, and there are some podcasts that I definitely um, listen to. I like the read.
2: My read for today. Okay. I'm actually not, it's like between three things. I don't even know. Pick <laughs> a number one through three.
0: Okay, I'm gonna go with two.
2: All right. So my read today is about Aaliyah jokes. Ever since Aaliyah died. I won't even see ever since. Maybe a few years Which after Which was a long time ago. That was two thousand one that Aaliyah died. Right. So, there are always people on social media who make some kind of crazy joke about Aaliyah's death. Yeah. I personally, listen, I understand that you might think it's funny. Different people have different senses of humor. Right. However, I personally think that they are absolutely disgusting. Really? She wasn't this horrible, horrible person. It's not like you're making a joke about Osama bin Laden or something. Right. And even if she was a horrible person, like, I don't see how it's funny to make fun of someone's death. I just don't get it. So, in the interest of full disclosure, I have done this before. You not a Leah joke? I have. I'm not proud of it. Okay.
5: But it's hard. I'm behind on my shows. I'm behind on Queen Sugar right now and Insecure. I'm even behind on Basketball Wives and Love and Hip Hop. I'm behind on everything. <laughs> Angela Rye, host of On One with A-Rye.
0: Thanks so much for hanging out with us
5: and taking the time. Thank you. This was fun. We need to get these living color jackets on I'm, focus. I'm already,
0: I'm already on it. I'm, I wrote it down. It's a note to myself.
5: Happening. I need a
0: project. Happening. So this is it.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm ready.
0: Angela Rye is the host of On One with Angela Rye from the Loudspeakers Network. To find out more about her show, hit up biglisten.org. We have almost reached the end of this week's episode. (gasps) Darn it. But before we let you go, it's time for... C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the Apple podcast charts, but we are not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And honestly, if your podcast has reached number 289, well, then you should go buy yourself a fancy meal because, friend, you have earned it. Okay, so this week's 289, let's see, what's it called? I can't remember. Oh, it's called Sci Fi 25. Origin stories.
2: Oh my lord! It is happening.
0: It is uh, apparently a love letter to science fiction, hosted by a gentleman named Adam Savage.
1: Hey, I'm Adam Savage, former co-host of the show MythBusters. Long.
0: So he talks to people like Neil Gaiman and Frank Oz and a bunch of people who I've never heard of because I'm not really a big sci-fi fan. Sorry, guys. Monsters. On this particular episode that I listened to, he talks to Kevin Smith.
2: Kevin sees science fiction as his
1: moral compass.
0: Who among? Other writing credits, uh, wrote the movie Mallrats, uh, the epic movie Mallrats. If you haven't seen it, stop this podcast and go
2: watch it now. Hey, I love you to death.
0: Apparently, Kevin Smith owns his own comic book store.
2: Comic books? Are you kidding me? That was only if you were a kid.
0: And they just, like, gas bagged a lot about um, the sci-fi things they liked, like Star Wars. I
2: grew up running around with fake lightsabers and hands. And
0: time travel. <laughs> no,
2: that's not possible. Somebody must have known.
0: And Planet of the
2: Apes. It supersedes the people that create the stories.
0: They also talk about fandom and how it used to be really hard to find your people, and now you just, like, click on the internet. This
2: offers so much more humanity in a box, and I don't have to deal with people's actual emotions.
0: As Kevin Smith said...
2: You'll never be alone again.
0: Which actually is kind of creepy and sad to me. Probably
2: built the internet. That and pornography, of
0: course. But yeah, Sci-Fi 25 origin stories... All about uh, science fiction told by the people who love it. Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Yes, you do. And you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts or NPR One or any fine purveyor podcast and hit subscribe. Then we'll be showing up in your feed every week, just like magic. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R Big Listen. And if you would like to get your pen pal on, you can email us at at wamu.org. The show today was produced by Daisy Rosario, Ponce Rutch, and Abby Holtzman. Jake Cherry mixed the show. I, Lauren Ober, was trying to get the Hanson song, Mbop, out of my head. I hope it's in your head now. You're welcome. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. Special thanks to Timmy Olmstead and Al Reynolds for always giving us a boost. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yore and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from our pal Dallas Taylor, the sound designer behind the podcast 20,000 Hertz. We met up with him at Washington's Union Station to chat about iconic sounds. And when we were there, we learned that the human voice giving instructions on the old metro trains was replaced by a robot voice on all the new trains. And that got us both a little bit sad.
1: Well, it just feels like people don't care. But I'm not blaming people for not caring. It's just human nature to put this one sense below others. And so my only reaction to something like that is to tell stories to make them care, or hopefully make them care.
3: This train is being held for schedule adjustment.
0: If Taylor had his way, we'd all be a little more attuned to how our environments sound.
1: Sound is one of those things that also matters if we, if we give it some thought. We're looking for more and more ways to make our lives better and Sound is this really secret, invisible thing that can make a lot of things more pleasant uh, just by just by giving it thought. It's not saying I'm not saying you know turn your entire life around and just put put it all into sound, but pay attention to the environments that you're in.
0: So open your ears, pals. You never know what you'll hear. Thanks for hanging out. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR.